With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, here we go, here we go, here we go. Hour number two, TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. A great segment before the break by the wise, the well-read, uh, the scholar, the gentleman, Basil Valentine. Uh, look, you know, we're going to get some couple of big stories, actually, I want to I hit uh, in the second hour here. And also, we're going to be joined by Blake Lovewell uh, in later in the first uh, second hour here in a few minutes. But there's two big stories. One of them involves... Hillary Clinton. This is a character I don't like to bring up in casual conversation because I know a lot of people are triggered uh, even by the mention of Hillary. So many people feel that she's, uh, you know, been put to pasture. Not so. Not so. She's still she's still lurking around. Uh, and the other has to do with Yemen. Yemen has interdicted a ship on the high seas, and this is kind of I think in a, this is going to change the game a little bit. We'll talk about both of these stories uh right now so hillary clinton what's she doing well uh, apparently joe biden's running for re-election it's just sort of confirmed not confirmed sort of a non-confirmed confirm on that so biden's running we're told anyway don't believe it don't believe it so they've enlisted hillary uh to come out and i guess campaign for joe you know make the case that he's still there he's still compass mentis he's still got that mojo he still can make it happen anyway uh hillary clinton still still scorned by her defeat in 2016 how long ago was that eight years going on eight years still scorned still blaming the russians hillary you know, she is still pushing Russiagate. Anyway, uh, she, yeah, so she was, I think, fined. What is this? Yeah, Fe Federal Election Commission fined Hillary Clinton for lying about funding the Russian dossier, uh, which basically was the was the the pretext or the the, the basis of the whole Russiagate hoax. Anyway, uh, that's after she uh, leech bitted her servers took a hammer to the hard drives, beat up the mobile phones of all her staff to destroy the evidence. But that's okay because, well, it's Hillary. She's a Democrat. They can do that sort of stuff. The Republicans or Trump did got away with any of that. Um, all hell would break loose. It broke loose anyway. Anyway, uh, NBC News is reporting that the former Secretary of State, bridesmaid for the presidency, raised close to $1 million last month at a fundraiser held at her home in Georgetown. Uh, in her role in Biden's re-election campaign is expected to grow. So pining for, who knows, definitely a seat in the administration. I'm surprised she's not in this administration. Maybe that has to do with uh, how well-liked she is, even among the Biden coterie. Well, I think it's more like Obama staffing the Biden administration. It's a little bit of Obama-Clinton spat rivalry there. Anyway, Hillary's moving in. Two weeks before that, Clinton published an op-ed in The Atlantic, which was painful to read. I could only get through the introductory paragraph. You already knew uh, that it was about all about the regret and the fake news and all the things that are wrong with society. Anyway, she pushed for Biden's approach to the Israel 
Hamas conflict, as they're calling it. It's actually Israel-Palestine, but uh, a lot of fake news outlets are calling it the Israel-Hamas conflict. Okay, anyway. Uh, and so progressive Democrats are all jumping ship on this. They're calling for a ceasefire. Hillary's saying we need to stay the course, keep bombing, keep the war going there. So already you can see problems with the Democrats. They used to have such solidarity, but it seems like this situation in Palestine has broken up that unity that the Democrats are so famous for. So anyway, two weeks before that, Clinton uh, pushed off a protester asking her to make a statement about uh, genocide Joe, Biden's warmongering, and $100 billion of funding for Israel, for Ukraine, and other things. Uh, anyway, she was on The View recently, and she basically gave another unbelievable statement um, about her commitment uh, to all the best things uh, under the sun in America here. Anyway, she's she's basically backing Biden. Is Biden going to make it? Of course, we've said on this program that he's he's going to be basically going through the motions in the primary. They managed to get rid of the only credible challenger anyway was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They pushed him off the Democratic ticket into the independent bin, which is basically limbo. Uh, so Biden can run unopposed without campaigning in the Democratic primaries, which begin in six weeks, six weeks. So it'll be, um, it'll be upon us before you know it. And so the real action is going to be in the Republican uh, primaries there. Donald Trump, I just saw the poll numbers from New Hampshire and, but Donald Trump, 51% next, I think he had a, uh, Maybe Nikki Haley or, yeah, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, somehow almost neck and neck. DeSantis with a slight edge, as it looks like in this poll here, uh, I think 19%. Okay, 51 to 19. And then you have the rest is split up between Vivek Ramaswamy and a couple of also uh, also rands uh, there in the GOP ticket. So that's going to thin out pretty quick. So I think you're you're pretty much looking at four Republican candidates that are going to run uh, through Super Tuesday. So and whoever survives after that will whoever survives will get somewhat of a bump as those other opposition votes that aren't going to Trump are going to be consolidated by could be DeSantis and Haley at that point. Ramaswamy could hang on. If you have a four way split on the GOP primary after Super Tuesday, then that's pretty much a lock for Donald Trump. The only chance any of these people have to get close to Trump is if they thin out the field. Uh, so those non-Trump votes are going to be consolidated by either DeSantis Haley or Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy still, despite all his sound bites, um, he's sort of peaking already. Uh, he's peaking around between 10 and 13% or something like that. So he's not really a serious contender. Although I like the fact that he's in there because he's giving some good gotcha moments and uh, basically tearing shreds off Nikki Haley uh, in the debates. I think this is a healthy. Republicans need to hear what Ramaswamy is saying there. But when it comes to the Israeli-Palestine uh, situation, they're all on board, all in the tank with Israel. No change there in terms of foreign policy. Slight difference with Ramaswamy. He's more on the anti-war uh, ticket there. Donald Trump uh, is just kind of in a field of his own. 
and again, separate set of analysis for Trump. So it's Trump and then everybody else. Uh, so that's how we're going to be evaluating this uh, going forward. We'll give you updates on any new poll numbers uh, in the coming weeks. We'll be probably bring on a polling expert um, and probably get them on regularly uh, each week to give us some information on the polls. I know Blake Level also likes looking at the facts of the figures and the data as well. He might have something to say about that as does Mr. Valentine, all astute students of politics and geopolitics and finance as well. So anyway, that's uh, looking forward to seeing Hillary uh, lurking about. Uh, I can't think of what a better thing than that. So anyway, uh, Yemen, Ansar Allah, it's called the Houthis in, in the West. It's at Ansar Allah. The Houthis have hit a Norwegian-flagged tanker uh, with an anti-ship cruise missile at a key maritime choke point here, reports Reuters. So the Yemenis have got anti-ship cruise missiles, uh, homemade. There you are. So you're dealing with uh, a potential a potential disruptive force um, in the region there. And this is a, a very key choke point here. So you've got the Persian Gulf. That's a key choke point. Everybody talks about that, but not everybody talks about the Bab el-Mandeb Straits. Okay, and this is really one of the main reasons why the U.S. and Saudi waged a war in Yemen when Obama was president in March 2015, a war that hasn't officially concluded yet, and it's going to be in its ninth year. Um, but there's a kind of unofficial ceasefire now between Saudi Arabia and the Yemenis. Anyway, the Yemenis aren't wasting any time. They're basically uh, putting themselves out as the tip of the spear in the axis of resistance defending the Palestinians here. And so this looks like, well, they claim that this ship here, this tanker uh, called the Strinda, uh, was targeted because it was headed to an Israeli terminal. The crew ignored all warnings to stop. Yemen struck it within it with a cruise missile. It's kind of a serious thing because, well, from the environmental standpoint, uh, if this is an oil tanker, uh, I'm not sure what the cargo was, if it was full or not. Anyway, heading towards an Israeli terminal, probably do a delivery here. So the owner is Norwegian, and this is a chemical tanker. So it said the vessel was bound for the Suez Canal and then on to Italy uh, with cargo containing vegetable oil and biofuels. Okay, interesting. The United States officials have told Reuters that the attack uh, took place 60 uh, nautical miles north of the Babel Mendeb Straits, connecting the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. That would have been last night at 9 p.m. GMT. And after the attack, uh, another official said the tanker would move under its own volition. So that is a key choke point. And this is what the Yemen conflict was all about. It was about getting control of these straits. Why? For the very thing that we're looking at right now. Pay close attention. Watch this space. This is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. So U.S. CENTCOM can do very little about this. In fact, they're worried because they're saying, are any of these ships or U.S. ships, U.S. ships going to be safe going through the Babo Mendeb Straits? Not just Israeli ships, U.S. ships, because the U.S. is regarded as a co-belligerent providing all the bombs that are killing Palestinians. This is not trivial, folks. These the Yemenis are not messing around. So here we here we have it. This is sending quite a strong signal here to the U.S. and their allies, of course, to Israel as well. And anybody doing business with Israel will they be interdicted? Will they be shot by Yemeni 
cruise missiles, anti-ship cruise missiles. So if 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 the Houthis have these, what does Hezbollah have? That's an interesting question, and uh, I would think they'd have something more advanced than even what answer Allah has. So plenty of things to be worried about uh, when you're trying to prosecute a war in the Middle East. So anyway, let's take a break with TNT, Today's News Talk. Patrick Henningsen, your host here. When we come back, we're going to connect with our friend and trusted counsel on all things global and financial, Blake Lovewell. On the other side, I want to talk about Bitcoin as well at some point in the conversation. I'm looking forward to this. I hope you are too. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay right there. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We're back. It's the second hour of this live broadcast. Big shout out to everybody in the TNT chat community. Big shout out to little Carol 
as well. She's also anchoring the TNT chat community. Hi, little Carol. Missed you last week. I'm sure you missed us as well. We got some feedback from many of our viewers, many of our listeners uh, about how excited they were uh, that we're back on the live stream this week and appreciate you guys. Love all the notes and the messages we received. Uh, thank you very much. It does warm the heart uh, to know that you're out there and that you care. We're here to serve you with the best news and analysis that we possibly can. And one of the people that help us to stay real on so many different issues uh, is our next guest. He is our trusted cohort and a contributor at 21stCenturyWire.com, and his name is Blake Lovewell. He's joining us on the live link right now. Blake, we haven't spoke to each other for, I think, just about a month. Where have you been? Where have you been, Blake? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, Yeah, well, I've been uh, all over the all over the world actually i've um i'm currently in the uk but uh, i have been in japan and also in china in beautiful sunny shanghai um wow that's a joke because it was actually quite gloomy and uh uh, and dark in shanghai and uh, a bit smoggy but um yeah it's it's been super interesting getting around the world and uh, getting a change of perspectives um you know there's so there's so much to report on in the world um but one thing I think that would be pertinent to one of your subjects of expertise um, was going through uh, Shanghai Airport um, and and seeing uh, what's left of uh, what was a very strict um, uh, COVID um, uh, p- uh, policy. Um, they had all sorts of these uh, barriers put up. Then you know uh, it would funnel people to this uh, archway where you presumably be tested in somehow, and then. There were these uh, orange pods to the side. Uh, I, I liken them to a pod of shame, um, where there's just a chair inside a small pod, and if uh, presumably if you test negatively or you or positively or whatever, um, you get put in the pod of shame before they decide uh, what happens to you. But luckily, or you know, fortunately uh, uh, or pleasantly, I was surprised that none of that was in order. You kind of walk straight past that section. It's uh, you know gathering dust, uh, mothballed, um, and you know the only pretense of any of that uh stricture was uh um a, a thermometer you know a, a, a pretend thermometer i say pretend because you know you walk through a little section and they say uh, we're testing temperatures um but there's a guy kind of sleeping at the desk with his webcam pointed at, at, at you but you know it's not really testing uh, temperatures because i didn't see the temperature on the readout vary at all when uh when people walked through um and likewise for Japan, uh, another strict uh, a country which had a, quite a strict uh, lockdown policy and, and particularly with uh, uh, foreign uh, entry, um, very little in, in the way of uh, strict regulation. So um, going through those two uh, very strict uh, countries and seeing the uh, sort of level of um, COVID uh, policies being enacted at almost uh, zero, um, I was very uh, positive and optimistic uh, for how things are going in the world. Um, so I hope that provides a bit of good news um, for you and, and for the listeners out there um, that things are, you know, the new normal is, is actually quite like the old normal. 
Yeah, so that's interesting. I was going to ask you about your your impressions uh, in the Far East. I mean, uh, China, Japan. That's that's definitely f- fantastic uh, travel schedule to be able to see these two countries. You, you did remind me of a situation during the whole COVID farrago. I had a friend of mine staying in a hotel, a major hotel chain, and they were checking temperatures uh, as you come in. And I managed to sort of wiggle in there and uh, without a mask. And without my vaccine passport and said I had to go meet my friend who was staying in there. And uh, how did I get past the temperature? I bought a bag of frozen peas uh, from Marks and Spencer's and stuck it on my forehead for about five minutes. And then I presented myself. Uh, uh, I actually had a I was, had a little bit of a fever, as it were. Um, but luckily, my friend wasn't too spooked about that. And uh, we, yeah, we ended up seeing him. But yeah, frozen peas on the forehead usually defeats the thermometer machine. Uh, yeah, there. I mean, uh, you'd probably get thrown in prison for that in China, though. What do you think? Well, yeah, to be honest, it was um, it was the strict, you know, airports in general in the world nowadays are very strict, uh, at least front facing. You know, they put up a big pretense of scanning your bags and whatever. But China takes that to the next level. Um, you, there's multiple swabs on your bag. If you enter the airport, then your bag searched and scanned. And then, you know, I was even taken. um uh, one one of the uh, terminals of Shanghai Airport taken back. Uh, my uh, luggage was uh, flagged as extremely dangerous. Uh, multiple objects scanned as dangerous. But I do just travel with some weird but safe objects. Uh, <laughs> I, don't we, we know. No, I don't want to know. I don't want to. We need to say no more. Us. But um, it was it, it was a very um, totalitarian I- endeavor, I would say. And you know, there's a cheeky side of me that likes to, you know, sort of uh, have fun and, and uh, you know, poke fun. Uh, but I think I really had to rein that one in uh, at Shanghai Airport because even though uh, it was mostly teenagers running these security desks and they, they didn't know anything outside their remit. If you ask them, you know, which way is up, they wouldn't be able to tell you. But if one of them pushes the big red button, um, you, you do have that feeling that the uh, Imperium um, may bring its heavy fist down on you quite easily. So um, you have to do be on uh, good behavior but um i do think you could get away with frozen peas and take that uh one world order uh system you know <laughs> um uh so yeah it was it was very interesting and um on on uh air china's flights there's this constant stream of uh chinese propaganda on the tv for everyone to uh enjoy throughout the flight um you know about how good the food is how uh how new the warships are uh, and so on. And it was quite interesting to see that. Um, but then even coming back to the UK, um, uh, I did see, you know, as soon as you land in the UK, you go through these long corridors towards passport control and there was still um, UK propaganda. Um, so it's interesting seeing that from both sides and you kind of get a bit blinded to it in your own country. But uh, when you come with a fresh perspective, you see, oh, we're not we're not so different. We're not so far apart, uh, even if there are cultural differences. So, so did you manage to spend much time in Shanghai itself? And if so, economic observations, Chinese economy, doing good, vibrant? What were your sort of basic observations? Um, I wasn't in Shanghai for very long, so I couldn't give an in-depth study on it. But I would say that um, it was, you know, uh, flying over it, you see the size, the sheer size of of Shanghai, the kind of the region, and it's just... um, it kind of boggles the mind. It's, uh, you know, you can see things on TV or pictures uh, on the internet, but you, you, 
when you see it in real life, just, you know, from horizon to horizon, there's just a grid uh, system. And some of these grid squares are full of, you know, high rises, each of them maybe 10 or 20 stories high. You can't really tell. And then one grid over, there's some factories and then another grid, uh, there's some arable land. And then uh, you see a river running through it and it puts it all into scale. And um, all of that wasn't there maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Um, and yeah, China's really... Uh, uh, growing fast and and uh, there's definitely a lot of um, uh, change and businesses popping up um, and also one thing to note as well there was a lot of western um, you know I think there's definitely a demand for in the Chinese upper middle class for uh, the trappings of of western uh, elitism you know your uh, brand names your your Gucci's your Armani's uh, your your Geordie Lombornis or whoever whoever they are um, which is kind of uh, antithetical to the sort of communist ideal but really uh, ties in with the uh, uh, planned capitalism that China really follows um, and so yeah it was it was interesting to see those those sort of brand names popping up in uh what is ostensibly still a, a communist regime um but as i say i wasn't in china long enough i would say to give uh, an in-depth answer but um a friend did ask um uh she she mentioned that maybe um uh, the Chinese economy wouldn't last for very long, you know, mentioning the real estate crisis and all of that. And I said, uh, looking at how China manages stuff, uh, they can turn these national policies for over a billion people off and on like a light switch. Yeah. Uh, the organization to be able to almost 3D print these uh, uh, tower blocks and everything like that, it's unparalleled. So I really wouldn't put uh, uh, China in the corner uh, or have any put any money on uh, China falling anytime soon. There's another thing about China that um, you can probably appreciate uh, as well, Blake, is that, you know, they if there's any data that's looking like absolutely like a train wreck and talking about you talk about their housing crisis and the over leveraging and all that, the state yeah. can literally intervene and basically use various statistical interventions to cover up the bad news and in a way kind of staving off uh, market panic. And they do yeah. that on a regular basis. And actually, Blake, it works. <laughs> it actually works. It sort of massages the sort of wounds, if you will, and keeps them from, you know, everybody from bolting to the exit doors. And China does this on a regular basis. So that level of state, as you said, Blake, state control, state intervention, it does have advantages uh, in, in terms of crisis management. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's not the system I choose um, as an avowed sort of anarchist, but it does uh, it does work. And when when you've got a state like China, you can print as much money as you want, or or invent any policies you want. Not only have you got the censorship arm uh, controlling the narrative and uh, diminishing dissent, um, but you've also got a lot of actual raw power uh, in terms of resources, energy, um, you know, the geopolitical power, military uh, to back up that money printing. Whereas uh, the sort of faltering American economy is um, printing just as much money and uh, just in the same boat with a uh, real estate crisis. But then the productivity in the US economy is much less, even though there is a move to try and uh, uh, attempt to redress that. Um, I definitely think China's in a much better position. And then uh, we can interestingly draw the comparison with Japan, who over leveraged uh, the yen, uh, you know, using the yen as a carry trade. Um, decades of boom made japan a kind of an expensive place to be um, but right now the yen is uh, at all time 
all-time lows. Well, not all-time lows, but uh, relative uh, uh, to you know the British pound or the American dollar, it's it's in low. So um, you know it's good that the sushi was very cheap there. Um, but I'm sure the Japanese consumer is not uh, uh, best pleased with the uh, central control of their um, currency at the moment. Um, Again, Japan has a lot uh, to offer in terms of uh, productivity, craftsmanship, and and resources. Um, but they also have the uh, the kind of uh, problem of the aging population, um, which uh, no modern economy has yet faced up to. And you know, there's there's varying uh, you know proposals for that. And I think Japan's best uh, bet would be the uh, auto- automaton uh, robot solution because they're you know they're very prevalent their uh, robotics already. Um, and I think that um, that will only advance um, as as you know necessity is the mother of invention. Okay, as a first world denizen, uh, uh, intrepidly traveling, uh, Japan or China, which would you choose if you had to stay in one place? Uh, I would wholeheartedly choose Japan, um, despite its quirks. Uh, it's it's very polite, um, to a fault almost. Um, it's very clean. Um, you know, all of the restrooms are pristine, clean. Even the uh, undergrounds or metros, you notice it's cleaned right up into the corners. Um, there's not a spot of litter in the streets. Um, and what street art there is or graffiti is actually quite tasteful and limited to certain, you know, a post box or a municipal object, but uh, private property is not at all defaced. Mm. Um, and there's a real, you know, uh, uh, interesting culture of crafts. And I don't doubt that that exists in, uh, in China too. But um, as I say, the regime uh, is a lot more apparent in China. Um, and the, the, the you know, um, trying to chat to regular um, uh, members of staff in China and stuff like that, you don't get very far. Whereas in Japan, uh, people are a lot more generous and, uh, and tolerant. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd be choosing Japan. It's hard, hard. I'm hard pressed to choose between Japan and England at the moment, but uh, uh, you know, I'm English in, in my soul, so I can't really escape that. No, I've, I've heard a lot of great things about Japan. Haven't been there myself. Uh, it's definitely on my bucket list, but I do have a lot of friends who have over the years uh, relocated there actually in Kyoto, uh, in, in Tokyo as well, and other parts of the country and stayed for very long periods. Some, in fact, are still there. Uh, actually, and one uh, who then went from Japan to South Korea is now married to a South Korean. Has been living there for like quite a long time, about ten years. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of appeal uh, for Westerners, Blake, uh, in in Asia, and especially in these countries. I, I I granted they're 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 very Westernized in certain ways, but as you said, Blake still have a lot of the social traditions and cultural um, you know characteristics that are you know quintessential to those native places but yeah um it's uh, not surprisingly I, I you may or may not agree that some westerners get find it very comfortable there and very easy to settle into yeah i think so i would say that the uh the average westerner in japan is uh, uh quite an eccentric uh person usually and so i think uh, the japanese must get a very uh, strange impression of westerners uh you know uh, anime fanatics or you know samurai sword enthusiasts or um you know the the eccentric sort do end up there um but i know that a lot of cerebral people appreciate that uh the high culture and the uh you know way of life there too so um yeah definitely um a really interesting place i'd recommend to anyone to visit um 
But yeah, so I wanted to talk about all sorts of different issues. Uh, it, it just popped up in my newsfeed uh, stuff about uh, Yemeni war. I've been like off the, um, you know, the daily news grind for a little while. So I wonder if you've got any uh, 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 insight for, for me, at least for, for what's going on with Yemen, because that's been a, uh, a backburning conflict. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they've they've basically uh, pivoted towards Israel, um, and they are basically taking up this sort of mantle, if you will, the axis of resistance. They've interdicted uh, Israeli ships, and they just hit a tanker, uh, Isra uh, Israeli flag tanker, with a cruise missile. Yeah, homemade. So pretty impressed with their technology, able to put together missile technology at a very low price. So their cruise missile, Blake, uh, their the, the Houthi version, uh, you're talking about probably in the kind of looks like seven, eight thousand dollar range, and the equivalent from a Western country would probably be uh, half a quarter, quarter to three quarters of a million dollars. So mm -hmm. there's a big difference in the economy of scale there of what they're able to achieve with their limited resources and then what we have to pay for the equivalent. Um, mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So that's the big story right now. Babo Mendeb Straits, Yemen's basically tightening the noose. So basically saying anything Israeli-related coming in and out, um, we're going to interdict or even fire on. I mean... This is kind of serious. It might draw in U.S. Navy to secure this. This might end up being a flashpoint uh, if this war um, basically escalates, Blake. Yeah, totally, because, well, Yemen has been in this simmering conflict with Saudi Arabia um, for a good many years, and it's been wearing down the whole Ye Yemeni um, civilization into, you know, into the ground. So um, that they're still on their feet and able to punch is, is somewhat impressive. Mm. Um, and yeah, we can also decry the the high cost of Western weapons, uh, but it doesn't stop them um, buying them. I think it's a lot more to do. The high cost is a lot more to do with the uh, um, middlemanning uh, and the people being made very rich off the arms trade, uh, which you know is one of the main reasons why I believe there are uh, so many armed conflicts in the world is is because they're very profitable. Um, and then, yeah, it leads me uh, onto the thought of uh, why Saudi Arabia was so punitive in its, uh, um, you know, genocidal, pseudo genocidal campaign against uh, Yemen in the first place. And I think it's probably to do with it uh, being located at that bottleneck uh, on on the straits, uh, you know, for between uh, the Mediterranean and Indian Oceans. Um, and like in moving forwards in geopolitics, uh, controlling those uh, certain pinch points uh, suddenly becomes uh, extremely important um, when we're looking at these grand schemes like China's Belt and Road Initiative uh, or massive uh, energy pipelines or uh, thoroughfares throughout the world. Yeah, that's that. That's the that's going to be the front line. Of course, people are talking about uh, Israel's long-term plans, the Ben Gurion Canal to compete with the Suez Canal. That's kind of a long ways off. I don't know, you know, what that's what's what's going to take to make that project a reality. But uh, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit, Blake, before we go to break here. And you talked uh -huh. about the fact that you're in Japan. Did did the did the word Satoshi? Uh, appear in your dreams while you were mm -hmm. bedding down in Japan, and if so, uh, tell us about that. I mean, what's been going on with Bitcoin is unbelievable. In the I last know, yeah, of weeks. I mean, just talk about this. 
Well, yeah. So I went to uh, Japan expecting sort of a bit of a Bitcoin haven. Um, you know, back in 2017, it was uh, declared um, uh, a valid um, currency in Japan, you know, a valid form of money. Um, and, you know, it was uh, I was researching and reading all these reports that it was in over 200,000 stores. There were a few different companies offering uh you know, payment point uh, technology so that uh, offering those to shops so that you could go in and spend um, Bitcoin at the till uh, to buy whatever product you wanted. Some of the biggest um, uh, tech chains such as BitCamera were accepting Bitcoin um, and there were a few Bitcoin ATMs around so you can withdraw yen uh, from your Bitcoin or in inversely you can uh, invest with uh, yen uh, coins and notes um, into Bitcoin in these machines. Um, but upon, you know, you know, re on the ground researching, I found that all of that um, has sort of passed away because uh, partly due to regulation of uh, Bitcoin ATMs, almost all of the AT all, all the ATMs are gone in Japan. They've been made illegal, um, and due to certain hacks in Japan, uh, the um, support of Bitcoin has definitely waned to the point where no companies actually offer uh, these payment point services anymore in Japan. And I was so hard pressed to find uh, any um, shop that accepted Bitcoin. I actually was only able to find one uh, shop throughout uh, multiple cities in Japan, uh, Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and so on. Uh, only one shop, an American burrito restaurant in Tokyo, and they offered a sort of uh, a shady backroom Bitcoin service if you wanted to pay their uh, sort of per person to person, but it was by no means an official um, thing. But that that burrito joint a few years ago hosted Vitalik Buterin. Uh, it hosted a big Bitcoin meetup, so that was kind of the hub. And and to see it's kind of, uh, the dream of bitcoin has somewhat faded and, and it made me realize maybe you know you read a lot online about bitcoin's adoption and all of this and it's moving forwards um but actually on the ground in in japan supposedly a high-tech country there was very little of that adoption to be seen anywhere at all that's interesting yeah i mean so where are the big adoption zones right now it's what still still uh el salvador uh any, mm. any other sort of havens well even in El Salvador, it's it's only um, certain regions in El Salvador, very Bitcoin friendly ones that attract all this investment and people moving there. But um, the El Salvadoran population, uh, there's been very low take up of the Chivo wallet. Um, there's very low usage other than in certain areas in certain regions. And, and the government programs like the Volcano Bond uh, and the government's own mining uh, industry are actually very, very diminutive compared to um, the, re the rest of the world. America actually really dominates um right now in cryptocurrency mm. um china even though they banned mining and stuff like that they still have uh, quite a big um a bit of skin in the game um but in terms of mass adoption i don't think we're seeing it uh, uh except in uh, africa uh, and nigeria i think that would be the real um, battlefront for um, the use of cryptocurrencies particularly versus like cbdc's uh central bank digital currency so i think africa is the one to watch for adoption but uh, i think these uh things you read online may not uh, correlate exactly to how they uh, uh appear on the ground uh, i would definitely say that that has been a truth i've found yeah and we'll add uh, uh lebanon for tether uh massive traction for tether coin and Leb so any of these collapsing economies like where they're in free fall when they depegged from the dollar and literally tether becoming like a, a literally safe haven for retailers and things like that, which is, you know, tied to the dollar. Hence the term tether. 
Uh, so that's interesting. A few archipelagos as well, a few island nations uh, that are pushing the boat out, no pun intended, on crypto. <laughs> I'm here with Blake Lovewell. Look, we're going to take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. When we come back, the big conversation that you guys are all waiting for, Alex Jones back on X, Twitter, big space. Elon Musk put the vote out, Vox Populi, people's choice, people's voice says we want Alex back. What is all this about? Is this the right way to be doing free speech? We'll talk about this and more with Blake, and we'll get into it in just a moment. Stay right there. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. A few weeks ago, I wrote an article in CFACT about how people completely missed the true meaning of those storms that were blasting the UK three to four weeks ago. While they screamed climate change, climate change, climate change and warming, they were blind to the fact that this was indicating the pattern was going to change and that Europe was going to turned cold and snowy and a bit earlier than normal. So now they claim everybody is surprised for one and for two, naturally they're blaming warming. Well, guess what? There's a lot of rain going into Western Europe now and it's quite warm. Wait till you see what's going to be like two to three weeks from now. Now, if you say, Joe, how are you telling us this? Why doesn't everybody know? It's because no one bothers looking anymore. Experts are now saying that a sign of a warming world is more snow. Now, wait a minute. 25 years ago, they said the opposite. And yet, when I was in third grade, my dad gave me a weather book because he knew I was into it. It was an entire chapter on why it would snow more if the earth started getting warmer. It means there's more water vapor in the air. And even though it warms up in some places, it doesn't warm up enough. So if there's more water vapor and it's still below 32, it's going to snow more. That was taught also in college back in the 1970s. So here we go again with people coming out with these ideas when they can't explain what's going on because they have absolutely no knowledge of what actually happens with the weather. They don't forecast it. And who do they blame? Warming. This is a scam and a sham. And the more I read about it, the more I try to be nice and look at the other side of the position, the more I realize this has nothing to do with climate or weather. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling. But we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're gonna figure it out together. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're still in hour number two, actually the final run in the second hour here in this live broadcast on TNT Today's News Talk. Again, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for joining us. And a bigger thank you to our community in the TNT chat room. Bustling as usual. See you guys in there. Had a high water mark. Over 100 people in the TNT chat room earlier in the show. Those are good numbers. We'll see those climb during the week. I'm joined by Blake Lovewell, who's bringing in the news, the analysis. Talking about crypto before the break. $44,000, Blake. That was the high point mm -hmm. of Bitcoin last week. Blake, it's great, but also it's very depressing because mm -hmm. I could have, all of us were thinking, if we just put the cash we had 
in the last year into Bitcoin, we would have tripled our money, Blake. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's called uh, what's in the trade known as FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and it only gets worse the higher the, the higher the price climbs, uh, and then eventually people you know cave in and then they buy at a nice high price and then the price falls back down and then they decry the uh, unregulated nature of crypto. I mean we've been through this cycle a great many times. I would say that uh, forty four thousand US dollars isn't the all time high. The all time high is around sixty eight thousand dollars, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're we're you know building back towards that. Um, but what we're really seeing is this uh, um, slow and steady uh, increase. It's not booming and busting. It's it's becoming a lot more stable. And as um, economic indicators for major economies uh, are failing and flailing, uh, I think we're seeing uh, a sort of flight into safer assets, um, in particular uh, gold um, and Bitcoin. Uh, it's ironic that they're called safer assets, but for a store of value, um, they're, they're perfectly adequate. And in this modern world, I think that um, more radical solutions uh, are, are going to be required. And I think people are really seeing, um, you know, uh, the ship sinking around them. I mean, if you look at um, the figures about uh, the US debt, for example, they're kind of so stunning that um, I find it, I personally find it weird how these numbers just get brushed under the carpet or churned back into the news cycle and ignored again. But uh, more US debt was created in one month of November this year than the entire bailout in 2008. So, you know, people still grinding their teeth over the, the bankers, the bailouts, the bonuses. Um, you know, that's going on right now every day. Uh, yeah, it's we're, we're on that point of the uh, curve where everything's so steep, all the furniture's starting to slide down. Um, perhaps in a, a Titanic type metaphor, uh, the you know the ballroom uh, chandelier is swinging, uh, veering to one side, and and the band is still playing just about. But um, <laughs> I think that, so, uh, Blake, um, I've got my financials up on screen here, and I'm just looking at the I've overlaid uh, gold price and overlaid Bitcoin price for the past twelve months, and. Okay, granted, Blake, the the trajectory, the upward trajectory on uh, Bitcoin is very steep. Uh, okay, but but general pattern, there is quite similar. Gold's found a new floor at two thousand dollars, and that's pre mm -hmm. that's pretty well established, I would say, in the last six months. And then Bitcoin yeah. has established a kind of new floor around thirty uh thirty thousand dollars so uh the similar behavior there so like literally this is a flight of people savings money assets going into gold going into bitcoin and we're seeing inflation corresponding inflation in the u.s especially still experiencing inflation hasn't stopped blake hasn't stopped no i no, just and, paid. And i there... just tell you hold on blake i paid go ahead yeah i paid what did i just pay i just paid for a muffin, a banana muffin in Washington, D.C., I paid $4.80. That, to me, is criminal. That's nearly $5 for a muffin. So it's, I, I can't, maybe I just feel like, I feel like Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. am, I just, am I just a Luddite? Like, but you were paying Welcome five bucks. Welcome to the Luddite clan. It's, it's a muffin, Blake. It's a muffin. I know.
I know it's it's not it's not worth that, and uh, it reminds me of the uh, the lyric. I can't remember the singer, but you used to play it on uh, on the Sunday Wire show uh, in some of the breaks. Um, but the lyric goes, "When a buck was still silver, that was back when the country was strong." Um, when a buck was still silver, I think it's a country song. It's a country song, yeah. Um, but it really uh, rings true because you could buy for one dollar uh, an ounce of silver. Um, That's you'd, right. You'd, have that silver coin and and it was worth it's you know weight in silver and it would that would carry on um through the generations but i mean the the people who you know were saving those silver coins back then uh would probably think it's a completely laughable state of affairs now uh five ounces of silver for a muffin yeah it's preposterous um but we are really through the looking glass and yeah inflation it's it's a complete bind for the uh the u.s treasury the federal reserve the u.s government uh they none of them can seem to manage to square the circle on that one because you know they're so it's so far gone i would say you know tracing it back uh from the 1970s or even further um to Bretton woods uh and and, and further from that um the devaluation of currency has just gone you know it's gone um stratospheric and and it really hurts the poorest in society therefore i think it's one of the worser crimes the debasement of currency um but then you know, I I do say there are there are alternatives, and not just uh, cryptocurrency. I could I could uh, speak to the uh, manipulation of uh, Bitcoin's price. I definitely read a very interesting report about um, the minting of Tether. That um, some amount uh, of Tether, you know, in the to the tune of billions, was minted, um, but not um, publicly announced. Mm. And then uh, there were a lot of buy options opened for Bitcoin. So in the thirty thousands, when we saw this big acceleration. Of the price, lots of um, in the no analysts were pointing to this uh, covert minting of uh, stable coins to buy up Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the price goes up, you know, it's obviously a very easy uh, carry trade to do and just cash in and, and make your profit. So um, Bitcoin isn't safe uh, from manipulation for sure. And likewise with gold, uh, I think um, the amount of paper uh, gold uh, in ratio to real gold is something like a uh, uh, thousand to one, and it could be it could be much more because we we don't know what's hidden in the uh, sort of derivatives market for gold. Mm. Um, so the price of gold that you see on the screen may not betray the the true price or true value. If Good you went point. to uh, a street vendor and you said, uh, you know, I have this uh, gold and I'd like to cash it in today to buy some bread, you know, the amount of loaves of bread you get may may vary. Um, perhaps the uh, uh, meatloaf quote, uh, objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are sort of works here because the, uh, uh, the price of gold uh, historically um, you know, is much higher in real terms. And I think that when, if, when and if um, it comes to the point where people are trying to cash in gold in the real economy, they'll suddenly discover the real gold price, uh, a much truer price decided by the market per se, uh, than uh, decided by the uh, sort of uh, um, the kind of ob- obscure uh, paper gold market. Yeah. Well, the, the um, uh, British sovereigns and Liberty dollars are a great, great liquid, uh, li- liquid asset for for gold. If you're thinking about getting into it, don't buy bars, buy buy coins. Much easier to move, and also in smaller denominations. I mean, with the with the suppression of the price of silver, uh, Blake, this has been going on forever. And Ju- Judas, what did he betray Jesus for? What thirty pieces of of silver? I mean, how how much how far would he get these days? Poor Judas. <laughs> His bag I think that's silver. like six, six, 
six muffins in Washington DC. <laughs> a tray of muffins. To, yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that 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 one it's not going to make it into the gospel of Matthew, but it's interesting nonetheless. We got a couple minutes left. I want to talk about Alex Jones is back on Twitter. What do you make mm-hmm. of that? Elon ran the poll. Do you should Alex Jones be back on Twitter? And you know, they let him back. A lot of critics though yeah. saying, why don't they just let everybody on? Why is Elon doing this sort of selective replatforming, right? Yeah. So like the yeah. purists are saying he's a I thought he was a free speech absolutist. What'd you make of all this? Well, yeah, totally. I mean, your your points are totally true. These questions remain unanswered. You know, is it uh, political? Uh, right now, I feel like um, there's a certain amount of uh, battling, but within the elites, and you know, um, Musk is definitely on in in a certain tribe. Uh, I definitely tie him in with Peter Thiel. Uh, and that kind of group of uh, high tech, high finance, um, you know, shady, shady guys. Um, but he kind of in the Twitter spaces that followed uh, uh, Jones's reinstatement, um, he sort of kind of went against the World Economic Forum, saying that they uh, had gone astray from their original, uh, you know, ideals of just meeting uh, corporate and government together. But, you know, uh, I think we and many of the listeners might know the truth behind the uh, uh, or some of the truth, some level of the truth behind the organization of the WEF. Uh, it's actually closely tied in with the Club of Rome and the, uh, um, uh, you know, the sort of depopulation agenda. But that's one for another day. Uh, it's something that um, Jones and Musk and, and the other people did talk about in this space. So it's kind of, on the one hand, really good that these topics are being discussed, really interesting that that's kind of, you know, you wouldn't expect this two years ago. And like uh, somebody said uh, before Musk uh, bought Twitter and, and changed it to X, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, free-flowing debate to some degree. Um, I think that it's definitely a good exercise in uh, um, PR for Musk to uh, pretend, no, you know, pretend or you know show that he's open for free speech by reinstating somebody who was who was uh, unfairly censored for their uh, speech, not their actions, um, and unfairly targeted by PR PR organisations. Interestingly, Musk uh, said that all PR organisations are propaganda organisations, and they even mentioned the name of Edward Bernays, the inventor of propaganda, uh, someone well worth reading into uh, if you want to understand the modern mass media. Um, but yeah, there were so many things going on. You mentioned it, it was it came about through a vote and under the vote, Musk wrote uh, Vox Populi, Vox Dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God, which I thought was a very uh, transcendental or very esoteric way of saying something. And and uh, and as you mentioned, he hasn't done these votes for every single uh, account that's been blocked. So why did it come about now? Probably due to the work of Tucker Carlson um, in you know pulling back the veil. Also, Patrick Bet- uh, David did a podcast with jones a couple of months ago mm. maybe enough time has passed since the uh you know the cancellation and i think maybe the democratic machine is looking weak because musk is also suing as well as Infowars, are both suing media matters mm. uh, a big um you know think tank activist sort of slush fund uh, funded. Uh, soros funded exactly yeah, and so there's kind of battle lines being drawn, but I would be wary of people falling uh, on one side or the other, a sort of left, right, or Republican, Democrat, or, um, you know, Musk versus Soros versus the globalist type of agenda. I think um, I would definitely still be wary of Musk uh, for 101 reasons, uh, particularly him trying to inculcate X um, as the everything app, uh, the kind of Chinese WeChat that does the uh, money, does, you know, all of that. Those 
um, different functions in one and that's a very easy tool for uh, manipulation but then right now it seems that it's being used to uh, promulgate more information i definitely think that right now the uh, uh debates on israel gaza that are able to take place on x wouldn't have been able to take place on twitter one or two years ago True. um but Musk did come out and uh, uh, once Hamas was mentioned and, you know, really hammer home this point about three or four times that Hamas are beheaders, Hamas <laughs> are evil people and so on. You know, he has to he has to kind of bend the knee at some point. Uh, Alex, um, Alex put him on the spot. Hamas are beheaders, Hamas <laughs> are evil people and so on. You know, he has to he has to kind of bend the knee at some point. Uh, Alex, um, Alex put him on the spot. Alex said, a bit, no, there weren't four beheaded babies. It was made up. And, and then uh, Musk, exactly. Musk had to intervene. He said, but Hamas behead people but there's no evidence they are bad. that they're, they're bad they behead people there's no evidence that they beheaded anybody and that's a fact no, but he has yeah. yeah he has his well i found a really interesting quote from that was well, um, quickly we're gonna stop with the hour news head listen we gotta I, we gotta wrap it up listen we'll, we'll take pull a, the plug we'll, we'll pull the plug we'd be here all day otherwise. Well, no, no we'll take a rain check on that blake love well really great to talk to you again fantastic conversation we'll do more of this hopefully very soon but uh thank you for joining us on tnt yeah, catch you again really soon. Can't wait. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Blake Lovewell, catch his work up at 21stCenturyWire.com. Big thank you in the first hour to none other than Basil Valentine as well. Listen, you guys, it's been real. We have an absolute blockbuster program tomorrow. You want to tune in here at TNT. Same time, same place. I'm your host, Patrick Kennickson. It's been real. Thank you guys in the TNT chat room community as well. You guys are wonderful. We'll see you all tomorrow, so take care. Stay with us, though, on the network. There's more to come.